All right, creatures of the night, welcome to episode 75 of Talking Taker, our encyclopedic exploration, digging up the career of the greatest professional wrestling character of all time. My name is Alex Dorio. I am one of your co-hosts, and I got my big fat plate of Schmidt's Family Barbecue right in front of me. <laughs> I am joined, as always... You went without me? Oh, man, they, uh... <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. <laughs> you can hear that oh, I am joined, man. as always, by my co-host, by my tag team partner, by my wrestling buddy, Mr. Travis White. And Travis, we call this the encyclopedic exploration of the greatest professional wrestling character of all time. But we are digging way, 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 way back, taking that time-traveling motorcycle all the way back to 1990 to before The Undertaker was The Undertaker, to the land where the big boys play. Are you ready for this, sir? Did you hear the adjective there? Play. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, I had, had to rib on Kevin Nash there. I was Not hoping you would do now. that. I was setting you up. <laughs> That's, That's why we're friends. That's why we're friends. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, we're doing something here. We did, We honestly didn't think we would, would do when we started this. You know, we, we were going to focus on the dead man, but you know what? It makes sense. We're about to enter into the, the invasion storyline on our actual, you know, on episode 76, I guess, next week. We're in between, you know, the pre-invasion and the invasion. So what a better time than to go back to WCW, dig up the old carcass of Mean Mark here, <laughs> the uh, carcass <laughs> of this career of Mean Mark and his um, whatever else he was. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. And let's just go from there and see how, see how it plays out. And we're going to break down Great American Bash 1990. In the United States title match against Lex, the Flex Luger. That's right. Looking ripped. A historic match of epic <laughs> proportions, right here, and very interesting. Like you said, we're gonna try to trace and try to try to find some links in the evolution of the Undertaker. And of course, it is very timely as we get into this WCW period and this. Uh, horrible abomination of a storyline of the WCW invasion that we're going to talk about. Some of the Undertaker's, I don't know if worst matches, but definitely they, they jump out to you when you're looking through the <laughs> the uh, spreadsheet of all his matches and you see some of these, they're head scratchers, and you know we'll try to dig through those. But first, like you said, uh, we're going to go back to WCW time, the real WCW times, and, and look at his... Uh, look at his entire career there, sort of uh, in, a, in a microcosm. Try to go through it as much as we can. And also, of course, do what we do here. Talk about one pay-per-view match and analyze it. So definitely his highest profile pay-per-view match of of this run. And we do yeah, want to get... his last one before he leaves, all right? I mean, that's right. He, that's right. I mean, he, did he have another clash after this? I can't remember. I don't think he did. But he I don't some... think so. I think but anyway, this is his last one before he, he departs for, the, for New York, as I said back then. <laughs> And we want to give a special shout out to at St. Ridley on Twitter, St. Ridley Santos. He is the one who really spurred us on to it. He's been asking us to cover this match and this pay-per-view for, you know, for a few weeks now. So we're, we're finally going to do it. And I uh, want to give a shout out to his wrestling podcast as well. It is the Heel Town Podcast at Heel Town Podcast on Twitter. You can find that on there. Uh, they their gimmick. Is that like a shoe store? <laughs> like, like you're thinking of the shoe show? Yeah. Oh my man, Heel Town. <laughs> <laughs> no, their gimmick is they're going through. 
Whew, they're going through every wrestling major show and pay-per-view ever, period. God bless you, St. Ridley. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll be doing that for the next 50, 60 years of their lives. So. <laughs> so like we said, let's take that time traveling motorcycle way, 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 way back. Instead of to 2001, we're going to jump all the way back really here to even before the year 1990. Because we want to talk about really the origins of Mark Calloway before we even get in to this WCW run because he made his debut all the way back according to you know the most reliable source on the internet Wikipedia he made oh. his <laughs> he made his professional <laughs> wrestling debut all the way back in 1984 Yeah I I don't know if it's 84 but I don't know it's definitely around that time I know Austin always says that he started in 89 he says Taker was a few years before him, so it could have been 84 Yeah it was around that time I know 84 85 something like that but yeah he was in world class championship wrestling which those of you who Know your work, know your wrestling history. That's you know, the, that's world class. That was in uh, in Dallas, and they operated outside out of the Sportatorium. That the, I know Steve Austin talks about that place. Bruce Prichard talks about that place. I've heard Taker talk about it on the interviews too. Just how great the Dallas Sportatorium was for wrestling, and just what it meant to uh, the history of wrestling. And unfortunately, it's been demolished since then. But yeah, apparently Mark Calloway started in about '84 under world class, and I believe his name was Texas Red. Texas Red is one of the names he went by, and then uh, later... Sounds like a hot sauce for on your barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> like Red Hot and Texas Pete had a baby. I could totally see The Undertaker <laughs> selling hot sauce as a, as a side gimmick here. Now like he's kind of semi-retired. Like Joe Dirt. Exactly. He's basically, <laughs> he's basically Joe Dirt. He's got me still kicking wings. He tells snakes and sparklers. Yeah. <laughs> Fireworks. I can see Takers doing that nowadays. Yeah. That'd be great. I would love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Interestingly enough, I don't know if this is true, but again, going off the Wikipedia page, it says that his first match ever was a loss against Bruiser Brody, which, if that's true, what an incredible way to get into the business. And I think actually pretty fitting because, um, you know, I, I, I haven't seen a ton of Bruiser Brody. I read a book about Bruiser Brody, a biography about him uh, a few months ago that was pretty interesting. Uh, it had a lot of uh, interviews, people talking about his career. And the more I read about it, you know, the more I thought about The Undertaker. Obviously, we were doing this podcast mm-hmm. at the same time, but so much of their personalities outside the ring as well as you know their their intensity their passion for the business really reminded me of each other and i imagine taker probably spent a lot of time there got got to know him a little bit in that territory and the book did say that they they did wrestle each other back in the day i don't know if that was actually his first match but it did talk about them having matches with each other but what a cool statistic if that's actually true and I, like I said, uh, pretty neat to see the way the, th- those men's careers parallel with each other. You can definitely see a little bit of his influence in The Undertaker, in the way he works, uh, especially as he began to shed that dead man character a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to somehow find some archive footage of them. You know, I, I can't find any of it online. I was looking. I saw that on Wikipedia as well. I couldn't find any of it. But, man, that would be fun to see. Even if he's a young green Mark Calloway, just to see him sure. in the ring with Brody would be fun. Because uh, Bruiser Brody was something else, man. Something else for sure. And he definitely stood out in the crowd, and so does Taker. Even when he was red-haired, you know, uh, jabroni here back in 1988 <laughs> or 84, whatever it is, you know. 
It is, it is amazing how strikingly red his hair was back then, too. Oh, it really was. Yeah. <laughs> Booger red, Texas red. Yeah. <laughs> that was his distinguishing characteristic, for sure. And how uh, yes. how pale his skin was, as well. That, as well. Yes, for sure. We will, we will get into that. He's got a oh, bit, of, bit of a Seamus feel to him. <laughs> I hate to say it. Oh, golly. Red hair and pasty. No. <laughs> no, I hate Seamus. No. Oh, well, okay. mean. Uh, well, Mark Calloway, whatever you want to call him, Mean Mark, Texas Red, he did go on to some other companies after World Class Championship Wrestling, including the USWA in Memphis, uh, and um, the. Well, yeah, because that was when USWA became it became that when uh, World Class. I think when Jerry Jarrett bought World Class, right, and he he was he had Mid South, and he bought World Class, and then um, that became the USWA. I think once it merged, so. They didn't call it the Alliance, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they had money on their hands right there. <laughs> yeah, well, lots of opportunity. Because I think also Continental Wrestling would have been in, I think that was in Texas and Kentucky area. That was, that was Mid-South. I don't know. that. They, I think that, that, to me, what I understand, the names Continental Wrestling and, and Mid-South are interchangeable. But then once Jerry Jarrett bought World Class, he merged it and it became the USWA. And him and Lawler ran that territory, from what I understand. So, okay. Yeah. Taker was there as the master of pain. <laughs> Another name that didn't quite stick on right there. Oh, man. I don't know. What do you, do you like better? he came out to jump around by house of pain? <laughs> that would have been fantastic. I could see that. <laughs> what, um, I like better, Texas Red or Master of Pain? Yeah. Uh, I got to take Texas Red, honestly. Take it's Texas Red, okay. Over Ma- that or Master of Pain. Master of Pain sounds too gimmicky. I don't know. Yeah, they both like, sound super 80s, or even 70s, honestly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if I he, have to pick, I'll pick Texas Red. Uh, he would also go on later to be known just as the Punisher as well. So another I'll take name. that one now. Uh, yeah, but uh, probably couldn't get away with that one. Well, Marvel's copyright lawyers would come after you, I imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, he also the Punisher, and then he and while he's there in USWA, he tags with the Soul Taker. Which is, as we know, we've come to know. Let's see, we've seen him on this podcast as what? Papa Shango, Kama, the Supreme Fighting Machine, Kama Mustafa, the Godfather, and the Good Father. The Good Father as well. <laughs> we've gone through all of these. Uh, WWE Hall of Famer, Charles Wright, the Soul Taker. So Yeah, it was interesting going through this history of... Mark Calloway before he became the Undertaker, just how many people he crossed paths with early on that he would continue to yeah. cross paths with throughout his career. And of course, Charles Wright, the Godfather, whatever you want to call him, him and Undertaker have been boys for a long time, mm-hmm. part of the that Bone Street crew, uh, as we've come to know, uh, their backstage click or posse. Uh, not the click, not that click, not but right. the other click. The <laughs> Undertaker's click. click. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so we actually talked about that a little bit on uh, one did. of our earlier episodes, and you can find some footage of this on YouTube as well. You can find quite a bit of Mark Calloway before he was in the WWF on YouTube, that glorious tool that it is, a lot of these rare things. And it is really fun to go look at uh, to see his looks uh, just to, like you said skinny pale guy with a big mm-hmm. red mullet big tall 69 they bill him at about 329 pounds i don't know man he's, he's he little, looks smaller looks than that, thin. Yeah. yeah definitely eating like some... 280 or something probably eating potatoes like austin was <laughs> that's that, right man. canned he's, tuna well he was working for jerry jarrett so he'll probably eat oh yeah salad wasn't making potatoes. any money all right <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in 1989 
Mark Calloway finally hit the big leagues and joined up with World Championship Wrestling for the first time, according to Wikipedia again. Uh, he changed his name to become Mean Mark, and that was apparently given to him by none other than the hardcore legend himself, Terry Funk, gave him that moniker, which, I don't know, man, Mean Mark might be the worst out of all of these <laughs> monikers. Yes. And as I'm watching this Great American Bash, everyone's name is like Mean Mark, Sweet Stan, Beautiful Bobby. Oh, it's yeah. Just, it's all like, Such a Southern uh, wrestling thing. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a alliteration you know you got to have the same first name adjective or adjective as you do your first name you know sweet stan mean mark beautiful bobby it's just like come on man how like how juvenile is that but to be completely honest i kind of miss it too i kind of miss that and nowadays there's just so many guys it's just their name and i it's hard to even tell them apart some of these guys in nxt or now it was NXT UK, and just you know, so many guys on the roster, and there's just this is something we're going to talk about uh, later on, I think. But just there's there's a distinct lack of character, a lack of sure. gimmick, and, and it it helps so much to have, to set people apart, and maybe even something as simple as a nickname like Sweet Stan or Mean Mark could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even and sometimes they'll call him Mean Mark Callus, but I think I don't know that that name Callus kind of drops off as i was watching some of the stuff and and reading through about some of the stuff so definitely mean is probably the trademark name they had but or i don't know if they trademark right back then so, but um mark callis sometimes he was called that but yeah mean mark is the one that sticks and that's the one that's on the the uh, as we br- break down this actual match at, at great american Bash, that's the one that comes up on the screen so just mean mark so well, before we talk about this wcw run he's there yeah. for close to a year or, or almost a year around a year uh, he also competed in one other very legendary company, a company that's gained a lot of momentum in America over the past few years, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Undertaker had a few appearances there, and Travis, I know you watched one of these matches doing some research for this. Oh, brother, I did. <clears throat> so this match, I was just astounded that he... Um, I know I've heard him talk about going to Japan. In fact, in that Onnit thing, I think he mentioned it to those uh, guys... Uh, at Schmidt Fan Barbecue, that he went to, you know, going to Japan and stuff. He mentions um, it in a couple. I saw some WCW promos on YouTube. He talks about just getting okay. back from Japan or something. So <clears throat> yeah, it, while he was with WCW, he was going over there and uh, doing some right. stuff. Because they had a, a good working relationship. That they got even better once Harry Bischoff took over as executive producer or whatever. But um, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> back in the nineties, New Japan. Um, uh, Taker goes over there. Excuse me. Mean Mark goes over there, and I watched this show. I found it. Um, we'll try to put up a link to it on our on our social media. But it's it didn't have like a official name. It was just called what I could find was just it was just NJPW Hiroshima, um, and it was it was March nineteenth, nineteen ninety. Now I'm not going to sit here and break down the entire match like we're going to for Great American Match, but I want to just hit some highlights if that's fine. Um, so it's it's Masa Saito, which if you know anything about Japanese wrestling, that name should stick out like a like a sore thumb. Like the, he's, you got Masahiro Chono, you got Riki Choshu, and you got uh, uh, Tenzan, and 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 you got Masasito. He's a, he's a big name back in there. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And at this point, I think he was forty eight or like fifty three years old. So he was like wow. he was up there, and his tag team partner, and they're the IWGP World Tag t- uh, Title holders, and it's uh, Shinya Hashimoto, who Hashimoto was a huge star in the early 90s. Yeah. So this is really funny here because Hashimoto, I think, is about 24, 25. So you got the old guy 
and the young guy, you know, and their their tag their tag team, which is it's pretty cool. You know, it'd be like a I don't know now a, a Pete Dunne and a John Cena tag team. You know what I'm saying? Like it'd be <laughs> something like that. You know, seriously. Like, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Or like a Taker and like Taker and um I don't know who's a young guy from the roster. Finn Taker Balor. and Chad Gable. Taker and Chad Gable. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That too. Yeah. yeah. You got that. So it's just it's really neat. But they're tag teaming against. Uh, big now stuff. now I want to see. John Cena and Pete Dunne versus Undertaker and Chad Gable. That's <laughs> WrestleMania 35, baby. I'm here for it. Dude. Oh my god, 30 minutes of that. Yeah, all day, baby. You sick? Oh my I would god. Love that. You only got to work half the time because you're tag team. You can wrestle for years <laughs> that way. It's genius. Well, you do want to see this match too because you got Masa Saito and Hashimoto and they're tag teaming against Big Scott Hall. And mean Mark Callis, who's actually his name is Punisher Dice Morgan. That's the best name out of any of them, right there. PDM man, oh Punisher Dice Morgan. I don't know if this was a one-off. I know he wrestled in Japan as Dice Morgan. I'm, I'm anyway. Dice Morgan is Taker. So as I talk about him, that, that's who Undertaker is here. But that sounds like um, the greatest '80s movie villain that never was. <laughs> Doesn't it? Punisher Dice Morgan. <laughs> yeah, and Big Scott Hall. <laughs> uh, but man, Scott Hall. If you guys have never seen Scott Hall back in this era, he is Jack to the gills. He looks like a adult film star. He's got a, a Tom Selleck mustache, cowboy haircut. I mean, he is he's looking right, dude. And and then you got this skinny, kind of gangly, tall, skinny, pale, red haired. Punisher Dice Morgan. It's very strange to see because this is while Taker is in WCW, but just a couple months later, if we're going to cover Great American Bash, he's actually put on some like muscle mass mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's a little more felt, felt, whatever the word is, uh, once we get to Great American Bash. But here, he's definitely kind of skinny little rail guy. But um, I found this online and I was just intrigued. I, I just I can't recommend this match enough. It's so, so funny to see how far he's come. And, um, it's really cool because Taker looks like Bobby Budnick from Salute Your Shorts. I don't know if those of you <laughs> He could be that. his dad, 100%. Yeah, he could be Bobby's dad, Budnick's dad. But um, they come out and they do, like, like New Japan, even back then it was more of a sport feel. They do the um, the American uh, the Star Spangled Banner plays, and then they have the flags, and they have the Japanese uh, National Anthem, whatever it's called. I don't know. And then they play that, and they have the flags hands it's very very much a sports olympic type feel but i just want to hit some some highlights real quick is that so taker starts to match out with hashimoto so you get the two young guys there because i think even at this point i think um i think scott hall is it is probably maybe five or six years older than taker honestly in real life so yeah should be um, yeah but taker man he's got or excuse me dice he's got a lot of great fire and charisma here right at the beginning it's very different than what we've come to see and I guess his finishing move at this point, or one of his signature moves, was the claw. Like he does it on people's heads. Like what's that? Like not the nerve hold on like the shoulders, but the claw. The like, iron the claw. Yeah. Yeah, like the iron like, claw. Like the Von so, Erichs. Right. Um, from world class, you know. So, which his finisher in WCW was the heart punch. So, but oh, here he's yeah. using. We're gonna the talk claw. about the heart punch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. But he tries this like four hundred times in this match, dude. Like it's just like you can tell he's kind of green man. He's just going right. for the same moves over yeah. and over again. Yeah. But um. He gets it a few times. We got some nice double team moves here. I would like to see Scott Hall and Taker tag team because <laughs> um, Taker does a drop toe hold and then Hall comes off the ropes and does a leg drop on Hashimoto, I believe it is. They do the Rockers double drop kick. 
What? Um, yes. Both of them get up in the air and do a double drop kick. They also do a double big boot where they kind of like put their arms around each other and yeah. bounce them off the ropes and both hit the big boot up. Man, they are working like a true tag team here. It's hilarious. Um, Scott Hall hits the, Rager's, hits the Razor's Edge just as like a transitional move. Gets a two count. Imme- yeah, it's really cool. Immediately drags a guy away and locks from the Scorpion Deathlock, which is Whoa. just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Man. To see um, to see Scott Hall doing that because that if you, those of you don't know that match or that move was shown to Sting by Ricky Choshu from New Japan, um, and he called it the Scorpion Hold, and so Sting brought it over and it's called the Scorpion Deathlock. So anyway, it was really neat to see that, and it's just kind of a, a regular move. Scott Hall does Boston crabs on everybody too. Uh, <laughs> Taker does hit old school, and we've come to know it. It's a little less theatrical than what we know of now. We'll talk about that too as we hit the less Let's Luger match. Um, he hits running multiple, the running diving clothesline about six times too. Also a gut wrench power bomb, which is kind of neat. Um, but the finish this match comes when Taker eats a super kick from Hashimoto, and then Scott Hall gets double suplex, and then DDT'd, and then Hashimoto hits a spinning wheel kick on him, and uh, he pins Scott Hall while Masa Saito is basically beating the crap out of Taker on the outside. So it was really fun to watch. I, I really do recommend it. But the one thing that blew me away the most was just how good of a tag team Razor and Taker were. Like, golly. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a great point. You know, we've talked about this year, 2001, that we're covering and the midst of covering on, on Talking Taker is his tag team specialist year. We're yeah, getting to dude. see him and Kane really work this tag team all year long. And we've talked on the show how surprised we are at how great Taker is in this tag team role, how awesome he is making the hot tag, working the crowd. And it's funny to look back now and see that he really he really cut his teeth as a tag team wrestler in these early years. Because as we transition into talking about this WCW run now, that's what he was brought in to do in WCW. He became yep. a replacement in the Skyscrapers tag team, which was Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey. Dan, or excuse me, Sid got injured, and Mean Mark was drafted into the tag team to take that spot and become the new Skyscrapers. So that's where we first really got to see him in WCW. And it's just really fitting to, to watch him in this role. And 11 years later now, uh, in, in that time, he's getting to shine again with his brother Kane in this yeah. big man tag team role. Uh, really, really funny to see how it all works out like that. It really is funny, man. You don't think about him being a tag team wrestler, but he definitely was. And um, he competed at a couple of a couple of clashes of the champions and, and some pay-per-views as a tag team here. Um, and then a funny thing happens to his tag team because he, he changes partners fairly quickly. He loses Dan Spivey because I guess he gets a case of the Lars Sullivan and he <laughs> walks. That's <laughs> those of you who pay attention to the real, real life. Um Apparently, Dan Spivey just wasn't happy. I don't know if it was with his spot or what was going on, but he leaves before one of the, the matches, um, and they bring in a, a, a replacement for the replacement, I guess, and me and Mark is going to tag with um, the masked skyscraper, who is actually Mike Enos. Um, Mike Enos, also Blake Beverly and the Beverly Brothers and the WWF. But yeah, the mauler Mike Enos in WCW, who would who would go on to have a very similar look to Mean Mark, uh, would have, <laughs> and the same nickname. Apparently, they're both mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, fitting tag team, but that would be the end of the skyscrapers run, pretty yeah. much after that. 
Uh, I did watch a couple things. Uh, I watched a little bit of the This Is My Yard DVD from 2000 where Undertaker talks. He talked briefly about this WCW run. He talks about Dan Spivey basically being unsatisfied with his spot in WCW and a little bit paranoid about people trying to take his spot. So he just kind of dipped out and ran out all of a sudden. And uh, Teddy Long, who was the manager of the Skyscrapers, I watched a little bit of a shoot interview with him, and he basically kind of confirmed that, that Dan Spivey just didn't show up all of a sudden and kind of left left Undertaker uh, hanging. So that's why they had to scramble for that. But maybe that's why me and Mark got a little bit of a push here because they kind of saw he got kind of screwed over there, but they saw a lot of potential in him. So he's going to start to get uh, a strong little singles run for the brief time he was there. A lot of a lot of big squash matches on TV. Uh, he's like I said, he's paired with Teddy Long as his manager, which is interesting considering the history they're going to have on yep. SmackDown. They're going to go one on one with the Undertaker. <laughs> But then he is perhaps most famously going to get paired with another manager, a man by the name of Paul E. Dangerously, which, again, considering the history that they're going to have with each other many years later, is pretty interesting how it all works out. Isn't that funny? Which I think I just mentioned on last week's episode, right, Judgment Day, how how Paul Heyman said, you know, he was – with him and – with Taker and Austin, he had managed both of them early on in their careers. And, well, what do you know? coincidence here we are talking about it here it's just kind of funny how that worked out so yeah how how weird man teddy long and paulie both managed <laughs> uh, both managed taker back in the day it's just yeah. so funny wrestling is a funny business dude and you know just thinking about strange yeah you, you talking about scott hall and 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 mean mark or, or punisher dice working together that's just one of those things that you know when you're a kid watching wrestling i wonder if it's like this for kids nowadays. But when I was a kid and I saw Razor Ramon for the first time, I thought that was all he ever did. I thought this was this new guy coming in. And Ted DiBiase, I thought, oh, he's just a million-dollar man. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until years later that I realized, oh, that was the end of Ted DiBiase's career. He wrestled 20 years before that. Well, maybe not 20, but like 15 or so before that. And Scott Hall wrestled for 10 years before that. Mm -hmm. And... Undertaker wrestled for five or six years before he was the Undertaker. And I wonder if kids nowadays know that, like, Kevin Owens wrestled for 10 years before he was Kevin Owens. Or Finn Balor wrestled for 10 years before he was Finn Balor. And so many of these guys had that. Maybe it's easier for them because they have YouTube and because there's less, you know, there's less kayfabe, too. I mean, those guys talk about their histories, but it's just like, I. Still, still now. Sometimes I don't realize how far deep back some guys' careers go. Uh, it's just I don't know. Oh yeah, it is crazy, man. Yeah, you're right. When you're a little kid and you're seeing this for the first time, you think, "Oh, this guy, this is all he's ever done." Like, or or this is his first match or whatever. You know, he's never been anybody else. But then, um, I guess where it really started to you really started to realize that wasn't the case. May have been with Foley. Started doing his three faces of Foley in in like ninety seven, ninety eight. That's kind of where it kind of hit me like, oh, these guys have had a life before this character right. or whatever, yeah. you know? But um, it is weird to go back, especially when they're as iconic as Undertaker. It's weird to go back and see him like we're about to talk about. And even Steve Austin, to go back and watch him as Stunning Steve or the Ringmaster even, golly, that's trash <laughs> compared to Stone Cold. <laughs> the Rock, watching him as Flex Cavana or anything, you know, Isaac Yankum. It's just it's strange to see um, these guys, uh, what they become. 
Well, it just goes to show you, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but just how important it is to have a character, you know? And and we talked about, we've talked about as many, many times on this show, how, how talented Mark Calloway, the man is. And, you know, we see his athleticism and there's just something special about him because we've seen some gimmicks come and go. We've seen some guy, big guys come and go, but none of them have the staying power and the, and the uh, longevity that, Mark Calloway that the Undertaker has. But, you know, watching this match, watching some of this other footage, he he reminds you, me and Mark does, of so many guys, in my opinion. I don't, I don't know if you felt the same way, but I saw, like, some Braun Strowman in him. I saw some, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but, I, like, he kind of reminded me of, like, Baron Corbin, you know, like, uh, at yeah. this point in his career. Just the greenness of him, just the, uh, uh, you know, just the way that he works, just some mm-hmm. of the raw talent in there. But had he just been mean Mark forever, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. You right, know? exactly. It was the fact that he was given this great gimmick and character. That was a huge part of it. Not everyone could have played that character. Right. It just happened that this guy that had all these intangibles was also given this incredible character to help push him up to this next level. And that's the deeper point that I'm trying to make is that there could be another guy like this. You could maybe turn a Braun Strowman or a Baron Corbin or even a Sheamus, you know, into something bigger if if the WWE would give these guys something more to work with and think outside the box a little bit more. So, like, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I agree wholeheartedly. And sometimes they do get that. And then they just wind up flubbing it, like Bray Wyatt. That's true, too. You mentioned yeah. before we, we, we started talking and recording here, like, does anybody out there remember that he was a form, he's a former world champion that beat John Cena and AJ Styles on the same night? Nobody remembers that. It's a flash in the pan. But his character was the closest to anything Undertaker-like. And honestly, I think he should have beat Taker at WrestleMania 31. I think he should have had his second loss in a row. Two years in a row, I think Bray Wyatt should have beat Taker at that point. Because already, you know, the the streak was over. What does it matter at this point? So um, I should think you should have beat Taker right there and then just went and went skyrocketed. I really do think so, man. But, um, you know, you're right. Bray Wyatt's the only other character we've gotten in the last five years that has been an actual character they could compare to The Undertaker. Because God knows Lord Tensai wasn't cutting it. <laughs> or the Funkodactyl or Funkosaurus, you know? I mean, like, seriously. Um yeah, but anyway, you, you yeah. can give the guys the characters, you're right, but if you're not going to protect it or do something with exactly. it or make it special, <laughs> then, then that doesn't matter either. It's just that he's an anomaly. He's, it's, he's in the right place at the right time because he has a career in WCW, but he hits the bricks and he has Nork, you know. Um, shortly after this show we're about to cover here, he hits the bricks and um, he got the right character, you know, the right thing put on him, and they did protect it. You know, we've gone through some – some dark times here. We've gone through the ministry. We've gone through uh, the shoot promo in his in his uh, you know black uh, sweatpants outfit in the middle of the ring. We've gone through stuff like that. Um, this whole t- biker taker could have flopped. You sure. pull that whole yeah. character back yeah. and you turn it on his head. And honestly, you and I have gone on record saying we weren't huge fans of this era. However, now that we're revisiting, it's pretty freaking fun. So, <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. It, but anyway, so. He was he's an anomaly, Mark Calloway is that he got this and it's still going. It's twenty nineteen, he's he's not done yet. So Yeah, at the end of the day I think that's that's the truth at the heart of all of this, is that he yeah. really is something special. Uh, that 
you know, at the end of the day, he is maybe the most unique case in the history of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask you though, what do you think had Mean Mark decided to stick around in WCW? Let's just kind of brainstorm here. What do you think his ceiling might have been in WCW? Had he never gotten that Undertaker character? Had he just stuck around mm-hmm. at this? Because in my opinion, I really I don't know if it would have been that high. Because especially at this time, I don't think WCW really focused or gave that big strong push to guys like Mean Mark. You know, they were focused on Ric Flair and Lex Luger and Sting, not always the biggest, tallest, big man company. I mean, that was WWF was the big man territory. Right. I mean, you, know, you had you had guys like Sid, who you know, who would end up getting a pretty significant push. But I mean, that was really not even till after he went to WWF till he then he came right. back. Um, and then, interestingly enough, we've got Vader coming in on this pay per view that we're going to talk about. So he would right. get that big push, but. I don't know. But I, he's big in a different way, though. Right. He's a fat guy. You know? like, yeah. I think Taker would have just, or Mean Mark would have hung around the TV championship, U.S. championship era, you know, scene, probably. I think this was, because we're going to talk about this U.S. championship match against Lex Luger. I, I could have seen him taking it from him eventually, you know, and hanging right there, maybe mixing up with Ricky the Dragon and... Um, you know, Steve Austin when he comes in and stuff like that, maybe having some good matches. But yeah, I don't think he would have gone up to the, the upper level. I can't see him in there with Flair and Sting and uh even Vader at this point in his career would have been would have been strange. Or Harley Race or any of those guys, those older world champions. I can't see him mixing up with them, so weird to think about he could have been in there with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a hypothetical. Could he have maybe Ended up as a four horseman, perhaps. Like maybe had he stuck around for a couple of years, he could have been in that 1993 iteration instead of a guy like Paul Roma. Like I could totally see him in that Barry Windham, Sid, big guy horseman role. That could have been something really interesting. You know what? I forgot Sid was a horseman until this pay per view. Yeah, (laughs) watching it. But yeah, Taker could he could have slid in there for that. Um, You know, they had so many different iterations, but um, he just didn't have quite the. Uh, pizzazz that Barry Windham had at this point, which is weird to say because he's definitely better than Windham now. But Barry Windham's freaking smooth in the ring, man. When you watch oh, him, God, especially yeah. at this era, he's ridiculously good for a big guy. So yeah, it would have been interesting to see what he could have done, man. Really neat. Well, let's talk briefly about what he did do in WCW. I wanted to go through some of the major shows that sure. he was on, the Clash of the Champions and the pay per views. As we mentioned earlier. Mean Mark came in with Dan Spivey as the new Skyscrapers, and they actually put a pretty good beatdown on the Road Warriors at Clash of the Champions 10. Texas shootout, it kind of went to a no contest, but the Skyscrapers put a heck of a beating on the Road Warriors and leave them laying, which was a huge deal, man. You didn't see the Road Warriors usually sell like that for anybody back then. Right, that's huge, man. Uh, Road Warriors would get that win back at Wrestle War 90. Uh, well, sort of, because that's when they faced Mean Mark and the Masked Skyscraper in a Chicago street fight. So that pretty much did the Skyscrapers in right there. <laughs> one TV match that I wanted to point out was that uh, Mean Mark had a time limit draw of all things with my least favorite wrestler of all time, Mike Rotundo, <laughs> a.k.a. IRS. God, man, he was thinking of TV wait. shows even back then. 
is Mike Rotunda your least favorite, or is IRS the character your least favorite? I mean... If, is he just tainted Mike Rot- Captain Mike Rotunda, and you can't even watch any of his matches either? Yes, unfortunately, oh I can't watch any Captain Mike matches. Oh, my. What a shame. So, oh, so it's not just the IRS. He's it's permeated the entire Forever. being of yes. Mike Rotunda. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Well, Dekker went Broadway with Mike Rotunda. Good Lord. On NWA television, so... Oh... He would go on to face Johnny Ace, of all people, at <sighs> Capital Combat on May 19th, 1990. And if you're... What a show. Thinking, of, yeah, uh, remind him what that show is, Travis. That's the one with RoboCop, baby. RoboCop <laughs> comes to help his tag team partner Sting, or his friend Sting. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that's real. Oh, it is real. Uh, and then <gasps> heading into this... <laughs> How about you beat me? <laughs> Going into this show at Clash of the Champions 11, getting some momentum, Mean Mark defeated Flying Bryant on June 13th, 1990. So, you know what? That's a big win, though. Honestly. Sure it is. Flying yeah. Bryant yeah. had something behind him, man. And he opens up this uh, Great American Bash show, and he just, it wasn't just a squash match, man. That's, that's a big win, even at that point. Absolutely. So he was definitely getting some momentum, getting a push, and getting a pretty dang big match on this card. Great American Bash 1990, one of the major pay-per-views, because there weren't a lot of pay-per-views in this Mm. time period. So to get on a pay-per-view at all, and then to be in the secondary title match, the U.S. title was a huge deal back then. The U.S. champion was often the number one contender to the world title back in those days in WCW. So for Mean Mark to get that title shot, and as we'll talk about here, to go on third from the top on this pay-per-view, a very, very big spot, which I don't think I always realized. I kind of thought he just was sort of like a jobber, like or or just like a really lower card guy, but obviously not, man. He's getting a huge uh, opportunity here on this show. Yeah, I was blown away at the placement on this card or where this match is because it's right. It's this match, and then there's a tag team title match, and then there's a world title match between Sting and Ric Flair, one of the most iconic matches of all time. Oh, um, such a great match. Right here, yeah. And it's just uh, this pay-per-view. I want to encourage all of you creatures of the night to go out there and watch this show. I know we're talking WWF here and in our normal timeline, but go back and watch this, man. It's, golly, it's a classic show, a classic show. I did watch one quick thing before the show. I didn't go back and see all the TV. And as we've talked about in the early days of this podcast, there's not as much storyline to build up. Right. It's just kind of two guys are pushed and they they go over some jobbers and get some momentum. Then they face each other and cut promos on each other beforehand. But uh, I did find on YouTube, and we'll try to post a link to this, from the June 30th, 1990 WCW TV episode, me and Mark has a squash match and cuts a promo before the match. Well, really, his manager, Paulie, dangerously cuts a promo for me and Mark. And they're talking about this matchup with Lex Luger. Paulie talks about how the announcers have been saying for weeks that Lex Luger should be afraid of Mean Mark's size and has his athletic prowess. But Paulie says they're all wrong. They should be afraid because he's mean. You got a problem because this is mean. Boy, I got so mean that when he was 13 years old, he pushed his wheelchair found grandmother right down the stairs. That he spent four years in a juvenile home. That he's criminally insane. That he has no remorse. That he has no guilt. That he likes to end careers. 
that he likes to take food off of your family's supper table. Seven days from today, you become a former U.S. heavyweight wrestling champion. Well, that is just mean. That is. That's just mean, Straight up. Mark. <laughs> if I had a word to describe that man, I would say mean. That's so, it. That is just callous and mean. <laughs> so, golly. And that's it, grandma man. Grandma down the stairs. I like mean, it's Home Alone. <laughs> does he do that at Home Alone? I don't know. It sounds like a Home Alone thing. The guy's falling down the stairs. This is that is true. You're right. Um, I mean, dude, he's pushing people downstairs. He's lighting his house on fire. He's burning his brother. Man, that's crazy. So. I, I want to see some vignettes of that. <laughs> pushing his grandma Pushing the stunt granny down the stairs. <laughs> like, uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Well, uh, Lex Luger also cut a promo the next week on WCW TV. It was, you know, it was a Lex Luger promo. <laughs> was his thing? Was his out. thumb out? Was his fingers pointing as well? Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> drawing in the air. <laughs> oh, you know what? When Shivani brings it up on his podcast, I always notice. You gotta that see he it. His, I yeah. always notice that he had his thumb out when he drew when he was giving promos. He's pointing. He can't point without his thumb being out too. So. Oh, it's hilarious. We talked about Lex Luger briefly on our Survivor <laughs> Series 1993 episode as these yeah, two man. guys teamed with each other to take on the foreign fanatics. But, Travis, what's your what's your overall feelings on Lex Luger generally? I guess I guess around this time period in this WCW era. Man, nobody had a body like this guy. I mean, oh, I mean yeah. that <laughs> straightly platonic way. <laughs> Nobody's got a body like this guy. He's just... Like an Adonis, man. He's just cut out of granite. He just looks fantastic. He looks like, I mean, the second coming of Hulk Hogan, basically. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he just looks, that's what Vince tried to make him with the Lex Express and stuff. Like a million but, bucks, man. Yeah. yeah, he looks great. And he definitely, um, golly, he didn't, he can't really go that well in the ring, you know, but neither could Hulk Hogan. So it doesn't matter all the time, you know? Um, people didn't watch WrestleMania three to see a five star match. They watched WrestleMania three to see Hogan and Andre. You know, um, they, you know, I just my point being is that it doesn't matter if you can go sometimes in the ring. You can't. You don't. Not everyone's a Demolinko. You know, um, but uh, there's a time and a place for that. But he, I mean, I, I've always, I, I'll give Lex crap for stuff, but um, like pointing his finger in the air and waving around, but like. Lex Luger, he's an icon, man, in the in the business, and I appreciated some of his crap near the end of his career in WCW. Yeah, the I total package, stuff, man. The total package, the thing with like his little Iron Man like logo on his pants, and him and Perfect Sean Stasiak. So I, man, that stuff was great to me, man. I just, it's weird. The, the one thing that sticks out as weird to me about Lex Luger's career is that um, he beat Hogan for the title before Sting got to during the NWA yeah. storyline. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. But um, he did, so it shows how much they thought of him, you know? You're right, and it doesn't make sense, but that's one of the most excited I've ever been watching yeah. live wrestling. <laughs> I'm sure man. you were, dude. That was, oh my gosh, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, it was so surprising. It was so fun. Yeah. Um, you know, my I've always got a soft spot for Lex Luger. I've talked about yeah. my Aunt Kathy briefly on the show before. She was the first family member I knew that liked wrestling. She, she loved WCW back in this time. And her favorite was Lex Luger, man. Flex, flexy Lexi. Yeah, man. <laughs> and exactly. Uh, I had, I had a, a. I wish I still had it, man. I had a total package Lex Luger hat, like eighties <laughs> trucker hat. <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to it, but I had that growing up. And 
I had three WCW the Gloob action figures like that don't move, like none of their <laughs> no joints or anything, just rubber. They're like the old LJN WWF ones. Yeah. I had a Sting. I had a Tom Zink of all things, the Z Man. <laughs> and I had a Lex Luger. Uh, I don't know where they came from. Oh why I had those guys. Yikeroni. Uh, Lex Luger, man. He could do the torture rack. His arms were in the right Dude, spot to do the torture I've rack. I've never. I tell you what, man. The two moves I've been putting in more in my life than any other moves by my brother were the line tamer and the torture rack. That, that's just that move is great dude why does no one do the torture rack dude? i know that's one of the best finishers ever baron corbin should do it let's I, say that let's do he it do i'm it. for it man or can you imagine braun doing that braun Strowman doing that instead of a power slam i thought you were gonna say Brock, torture rack. but either no, one of those good. guys he's got no he's good yeah yeah you're right but um Man, that'd be great. What an underrated move. It like, really is. This Bob, is Bobby Lashley could do it? I could see yeah, it. Yeah, it'd be great, man. I don't know why these guys don't do it. They probably <laughs> use it as like a transition move nowadays, but whatever. It was a, it feels a finisher, and we're going to see it in this match, and it meant a lot. So, um, It did, anyway. and it got the crowd on their feet, but we'll get to that yeah. here in a second. But let's do it, man. Let's talk about Great American Bash 1990 from Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, Baltimore Arena, man. Baltimore was the home of Great American Bash. I guess just the rich history of America up there, and you know, and, and Baltimore, and I guess it's that Northeast style. And they got um the Great American Bash. These opening graphics are absolutely oh phenomenal, my man. Goodness. It's, this is the sub. The subheading is Great American Bash 1990 New Revolution, and it's funny to see like there's a lot of these new new guys go over these older guys in the, on this match. I want to. I'd like to give the results away for this Please. Video, if you don't mind. In Please just a minute, talk but, about the card for this show. But, but tell me about your thoughts about the, the opening though. Those graphics. Those graphics. They're just incredible, man. You <laughs> so got good. Sting and Ric Flair's heads <laughs> on uh, like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington <laughs> <So> body. <laughs> Oh, I loved it, man. I uh, like the American like flag and like the stars coming in with all like the superstars like yeah. faces in them and stuff. It's like Steiner Brothers coming in with like the stars on their face. It was a- including awesome, Mean Mark. He's one of the guys in, in the opening. So again, yeah. getting a big push right here. Yeah, so it means something when an opening. Um so yeah. We're gonna get Bob Cottle and Jim Ross on commentary and Gordon Soli on interviews, man. So that's a change of pace for us. Talk for about sure. that. Yeah, man. Bob Cottle. <laughs> I didn't yeah. think we were gonna talk about him. You know what I realized listening to him is how uh, how much an, a young Tony Schiavone sounds like Bob Cottle. Yeah, yeah. It's weird, but um, yeah. If you don't mind, I'd like to break this card down, dude. This this what a freaking card! This is fantastic. We got again. I've already mentioned one of the most iconic main events of all time in WCW history: Sting defeating Ric Flair for the big gold belt. I mean, that is just it's fantastic. And it's dude, so that fun. Match, it's only like 13, 12, 13 minutes. Yeah, and that they didn't is have to go, it's perfect. That is one of the best crowd reactions you yes. will ever see. Not not just here, but nope. see. If you go watch yes. that match, when Sting gets the pinfall, you see that crowd erupt. Like mm-hmm. it, it's everyone talks about when Foley wins the title and Austin comes out and helps Foley win the title from the rock. Mm-hmm. And that that is up there too. That that might yep. be number one. This is like one A, man. This yeah. crowd, that and and Flair beating Vader from Starcade ninety three. You see the crowd, just everyone gets up on their feet and just goes nuts. It's it's awesome to watch. Yeah, it's like you said to watch. You can watch it on mute and still get that yes. same feeling from the crowd. You know, it's just it's crazy. Um, 
that match, I can't understate or I can't overstate how great that match is. But also, we got—I I mentioned Flying Brian's going to Flying Brian's going to beat Buddy Landell, the Nature Boy, Buddy Landell. How do they That's have t- deal. two Nature Boys on this show? <laughs> and they both have robes and blonde hair. I don't get they look that, identical. <laughs> but dude, they're booking in the show here, man. They got one in the beginning and one at the end. So, and they both lose. So, um, your boy Captain Mike Rotunda is going to beat the Iron Sheik. Oh my God. <laughs> I watched that match, bro. <laughs> it's awful. I'm so sorry. Captain Mike's got a little anchor like on his on his pants. <laughs> the Iron Sheik, seventy three years old at this about this point in time. <laughs> probably, oh, probably. My. He's not getting around great. And then we get a match. It's Doug Furness, who is pretty much the second coming of Lex Luger. This right. guy's physique is ridiculous. I forgot how ripped Doug Furness is. I really liked Furness and Lafon in ECW. In the late 90s. Yeah, and uh, WWF. I didn't really care for yeah. them in WWF. But right. I them they didn't ECW. do too much. Yeah. He beats Dirty Dutch Mantel, bro. And Ooh. it is, dude, Dutch Mantel, you cannot tell. And even JR says, I can't tell where his hair ends, his back hair starts. His back hair. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Prince Albert, man. It's disgusting. Harley Race, seven time WWE or WCW or NWA champion, beats Tommy Rich, another. Another former champion. Dude, I was looking at this card. I did not know Harley Race wrestled in 1990. Me neither. That (laughs) blew my mind, man. Yeah. I had no idea he was going to be on this card. Um, Tommy Rich. Yeah, dude. Wildfire Tommy Rich. I've seen him wrestle at uh, Nashville Fairgrounds a few years ago. (laughs) The guy's autograph Um, in Augusta. He didn't wrestle that night. but. We got beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan over the Southern Boys, Scott Armstrong and Tracy Smothers in the match of the night. I mean, I believe like it. as far you want to watch five star match, five star tag team match, watch this match. I encourage any wrestler that wants to be a wrestler to watch this tag team match. It's a freaking clinic. Also, watch it with 1990 goggles on because it does not age well. The, the Southern Boys come out in their gray Confederate. Uh, confederate like <laughs> jackets and they have a giant confederate flag on their pants and put yourself in 1990 it was different times okay sure. so yeah um definitely wouldn't fly but this this match would this match would be up there with any nxt takeover right now I, I swear to you it is ridiculous how good it is um we also get north american debut of big van vader man uh did you watch this part when you watched this uh no, I, I you've seen it before, I know. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it before. I didn't have a chance to watch the whole show, but I heard him talking about it, putting it over on commentary. It's yeah, just, it's funny to hear that too. It's weird to see him without his like little mask. He has like just a full head mask. It's strange. I, I forgot that he can't, he debuted with that. It's like yeah. a full head black mask. He's got he comes out with his mastodon helmet on and everything. It's just such a sight to see, man. Again, go back and watch that. We we talked about him on Talking Taker. You know his matches oh, with yes. Taker. Um. But he goes over your your action figure, Tom Zink here. Z Man. <laughs> yeah. Tony Schiavone's most handsome favorite wrestler. <laughs> we also get another Man, great tag RIP team to match. both those guys, dude. Yeah, I know. Yeah, go. Sucks. Sucks. Um the Steiners beat the fabulous Freebirds who were wearing like glitter and like they look like cross dressers, man. It's incredible, dude. Like also probably wouldn't fly now. They look like um Golly, what's that guy in Dalton Castle almost, but like really turned up to 11. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. They're great. But again, that match is awesome. Um, we also see the quote-unquote debut of a future Undertaker WrestleMania opponent in El Gigante. Or El Gigante. <laughs> looking like a freaking Giant Power Gonzalez. Ranger. Yep. Giant Gonzalez. Um, he tags up. Listen to this. 
Paul Orndorff and the Junkyard Dog um, to take on the Horsemen, which Barry Windham, Arn Anderson, and Sid. Um, and that's that match is actually won by DQ when you throw someone over the top rope. Remember that was a DQ oh back in those days. So silly. Yeah. We got Doom over the Rock and Roll Express. Those of you who don't know who Doom is, that'd be Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, or AKA Farouk, who we've covered plenty on here. Uh, we've covered him with the White Savior match here on Talk and Decker. And then uh, we got this U.S. title match, and then again, just man, some freaking Hall of Fame caliber talent right there. Some, okay, some, not El Gigante and you know Mike Enos, or maybe, or maybe excuse me, Mike Rotunda, but he'll go in. He, he, is he already in his IRS? Or no, no, and he never okay. will be. He, he will be. Dude. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, but um, anyway, just seriously a, man, though, look good, at all the pay per view, and look at all the guys we've covered here. Like you said, yeah. Elegante, Giant Gonzalez. Oh, um, Rick Flair, who we're going to talk about in the future, Farouk, IRS, Ron Simmons, yeah. IRS, Vader. Um, was there was another one I think, uh, but anyway, yeah, dude, look at all those guys that he would go on to have history with. Really, really neat uh, to see them intertwine and to see them in these earlier we'll, roles. Yeah, we'll cover a little bit of Arn Anderson here when we get to the Rick Flair match too. So <laughs> Sid, Sid was the other one I, Sid, I glossed yeah, over. Sid, yeah, yep. we talked about him, but yeah, so. This match goes on third from the top, like we said, but there are a couple promos uh, that we get to hear from these guys earlier in the show. Yeah, earlier, I didn't make too many notes about this. Um, I made it in my head, I guess you could say, but um, Paulie gives a, or Paul Dangerously, I guess is his name, Paulie Dangerously. He gives a little promo standing next to Mean Mark. Mean Mark is doing his best 1980s uh, Bond villain heel. He's like, you know, mugging at the camera and clenching his, his fist. fist. Yeah, yeah, his, yeah, that was his, his big thing he did. Yeah. Yeah, his right hand has a fingerless glove on it, so that's his heart punch hand. So he's rubbing it, you know, like an evil villain would or whatever, and he's just kind of standing there. But basically, Paul E. has a Lex Luger shirt with him, one of those ones that just has, like, his face on it, you know, like yeah. they were big in the 90s. Has one of those. He's like, he's like, I got this shirt here. I don't know, maybe toilet paper, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but he throws it at a Mean Mark, and Mean Mark goes to, like, rip it in half, but I guess it's not, like, cut and so he does rip it a little bit but it's it's kind of crappy the way he rips it it doesn't go like he wants to he's no but, Hulk um, Hogan no 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 they didn't they didn't uh, they didn't cut it there a little bit so it would rip fine but anyway that's going to lead into the next interview that Lex Luger is going to cut basically Paulie is just like you know we're going to tear you apart tonight tear you apart with this shirt so he tears a shirt so yeah, and Lex Luger cuts a promo with Gordon Soley right before the match, and he kind of kind of alludes to that, kind of makes fun of Mean Mark for not being able to tear the T-shirt there. Well, I'll tell you what it's going to be. The electricity is in the air now. Next up, the total package, Lex Luger defending his U.S. title against Mean Mark, and you've got the added faction of Paul E. Dangerously. You know, as far as I'm concerned right now, the talking's over. It's not too hard to tear a t-shirt apart, it's be a lot harder to tear this man apart than this from around my waist. And Paulie dares you stick your nose in, you're going to get your clock clean, baby. That's, That's nice. Bit. You should clean yeah, his clock yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it means it metaphorically, I don't know. Oh, my yeah. bad, I missed that. <laughs> Uh, he also goes on to talk a little bit about Sting, his buddy in the main event tonight, and how excited yeah. he is for him, how he's going to watch his back. But yeah, that's going to... Do it for the talk, and the talking yeah. is over. We're going to get to the match right here as Mean Mark makes his way out first. He's got his black vest, black chaps, black tights, 
red knee pads, like you said, the one fingerless glove on his wrist, the red mullet, a little bit of a red beard coming out, and man, what a what a look. Yeah. It looks like one of the blackjacks, man. Like, hey, yes, crazy. he does. That's like, exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Definitely Texas or like style, man, like with the chaps and the, the underwear underneath. It's just weird looking. I just can you imagine the gong hit? Like we should go back and have the gong hit and like show this entrance and like how unmenacing it would be <laughs> walking out like this. But I don't know, man. It's, times were different there, but it's just funny, funny to see him. It just shows you how much he really committed to that Undertaker character. Oh yeah, the, like it's such a stark change of pace. Like you almost wouldn't recognize these two guys. Yeah, well, he comes out flanked by the psycho yuppie from Wall Street, Paulie Dangerously. <laughs> <laughs> what a nickname, man. <laughs> He's uh, he's billed at 6'9", 319 pounds, and the announcers are really putting over his size, talking about him as a, as a giant, as a monster, as that's the, his biggest strength is his size. I'll tell you what, if you're interested in any kind of collegiate credentials from any wrestler, just go watch a 1990 pay-per-view with Jim Ross calling it. He'll tell, you, he'll tell you every guy on the roster every last where one. they competed in high school and college. I've never heard more. It's like an ESPN analyst, dude. He is just on it where all these guys. Well, he goes into that about Taker, or excuse me, Mean Mark and where he played football and everything and talks about it with Lex and his, you know, basically given – how good of an athlete they are outside the ring as well. So how this is going to be a nice athletic competition here. But it's funny because he does mention as Lex is coming out, he's got his fantastic theme music That's coming great. out in these neon pink tights, dude. Woo. Yeah, man, and so many mullets here, man. Everybody's got a mullet. In fact, JR's like, I think he's got a haircut today. <laughs> <laughs> how can you tell? But um, he's talking about how Lex usually has a size advantage in his matches, you know? But he's not going to. He's going to be fighting from underneath, which is pretty cool to think about. Speaking of hair, JR is riffing on Polly, joining the hair club for men and making fun of him. And it, he does that all match long, just hating on Polly dangerously, which is hilarious considering their roles and the stuff yeah. we're covering in 2001 and commentary just bickering with each other the whole time. It's just, it was always there. It was funny how it just mirrored what we're going over currently, yeah. too. It's just so funny. I, I just. If you wouldn't, if we wouldn't have gone back and seen this, I wouldn't have remembered that they actually got at each other all the time. So it's really funny. They did. So, well, this match, ladies and gentlemen, not a lot of uh, breakdown. You know, not a lot of wrestling moves and stuff, but a lot of wrestling holds. So we're going to see a collar and elbow tie up leads to them trading wrist locks back and forth. Basically, dude, if so. you're into wrist locks, then this is the match for you, man. Six <laughs> yeah. stars if you like wrist locks. This. <laughs> Six minutes of wrist locks to start wrist off locks, with, Hammer locks. Yeah, lots of those types of things. Um, but, you know, it like, was very – especially the first five, ten minutes or so. Well, it's, it's about 12 minutes long, so like the first five, six, seven minutes. It reminded me of just going to your local indie, man, your yep. local neighborhood indie and watching this just – it's such a basic standard match. And that's not a complaint, you know, it's just because you just don't see matches built like this anymore where there's the wrist locks and the stalling and uh, Mean Mark's going to complain that Luger pulled his hair and worked to the crowd yep. for a few minutes. And it's just slowly building up to really getting into the match. It's not this sprint, you know, they've got 12 minutes, so they're going to, you know, re wrestling, especially back then, wasn't all about flashy moves and stuff. It was this right. car Carney show and that's what they're doing here. 
Yeah, it, very true, man. Very true. And it, it goes to show and um, just how – well, I'll talk about this later too probably, but just how if you're invested in the characters, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're a Dean Malenko or a Chris Benoit or Kurt Angle in the ring, you know, because, again, those guys had good characters as well. But I'm just saying sometimes – because the crowd's in it for this match. It's weird. They've seen a lot of good stuff all night, but this crowd is in it for this match, even though it's not like – I mean, me and Mark has only been on the scene for a couple months, you know, mm-hmm. but – um. They're still invested. It's a, it's a high-profile match. U.S. title meant something, too. It's against Lex Luger, so um, the crowd's in it, you know, no matter what. So we got some Paul E. Sucks chants, which is pretty cool to hear. So I didn't remember Sucks being a word, like, back in the 90s, <laughs> like, early 90s. This, this yeah. Far back. It's starting know? to come into fashion then. Yeah. But that's another know. point, too, is that me and Mark's got Paul E. with him, and Paul E. was over. Paul E. was right, hated. Right, exactly, yeah. And so, you know, whether or not me and Mark was over so much, he at least he had Paul E. with him. Exactly. And that's the that's the point of having these managers that are established. You can just stick them with anybody, and that person's automatically going to get the rub from him. Yep, absolutely. Well, we do see Taker. Excuse me, golly, me and Mark. I'm so used to <laughs> 74 weeks of saying Taker. It's all right. Well, 75 yeah, um, we see Mean Mark uh, do a what is it like a like a, um he pulls him it's down like by his leg, leg sweep sort of yeah yeah like goes down strange leg sweep and then uh, so he's he's starting that back then too and then Bob Cottle tells us would it tell you something about Mean Mark if I were to tell you that his favorite pet was a snake I can believe that Bob I think you're yeah I can believe that so thanks thanks a lot Bob <laughs> just makes um, him even more mean exactly. <laughs> Stealing yeah, Jake's gimmick, of, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see lots of hammer locks and wrist locks, and Mean Mark's using the ropes to escape, which is a, a heel move, you know? You're supposed to do that to escape a, a headlock or a, a wrist lock, whatever. You're supposed to use the ropes if you're a heel to escape, because that's, that's the coward's way out. That's something I wanted to point out, man, because they, they actually bring that up in the match, where uh, Mean Mark gets a... It's ugly looking, but he gets an arm bar on the ground. And JR and Cottle on commentary say that Luger is close to the ropes, but he's not going to go for They don't think he'll go for him because he has too much pride to break yeah. the submission that way. Isn't that and, cool? dude, growing up watching wrestling in this time period, I forgot how big a deal that was. Like, you yeah. nowadays, everyone, that's just standard practice as you go right. for the ropes as a submission, whether you're a heel or a babyface. But that used to be a heel move. To get out of a submission was to use the ropes. That used to be the cheap way out. And that's just not the case anymore. And I kind of miss that. Oh, yeah, me too. Faces would never try to break a submission through the ropes. They would just power out of it. Right. Superman, Justina out of it Mm -hmm. and get out. So, yep. um, I don't know when that started, but. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. And used to be the heels were the only only ones that would break up and fall with a you know foot on the ropes or something too. Like yeah. kicking, instead of kicking out, you always see the face actually kick out at two point nine. But the, right. But now you see faces do that. I guess it adds drama still now. But I, I, I don't know. It made it more. It was more of a heel face dynamic back then too. Now things are kind of shades of gray. But, um, but anyway. It's really cool, and, and also Bob Cottle echoes something that I think the internet wrestling community has been saying for years, and that's that he says, you know, Jim Cornette and Paul Lee are two of the best managers to ever do it. And I just like, dude, he's right. Throw Even them back and then. up there. Yeah. Throw them in here. Yeah, and this is a young Paul Lee, man. I mean, he's probably, what, 23 years he's old? He's early or 20s, yeah, for Yeah, sure. early 20s. I mean, it's just crazy. How early he, uh, how young he was in the business. <laughs> Plus, his hair looks as bad as it does. 
<laughs> but um, like you mentioned earlier, man. When speaking of hair, me and Mark gets that hair pull. He feigns that hair pull. He said he tells the ref that uh that um his hair got pulled, which is just a classic spot, man. It's just, you just the, don't the see crowd, it anymore either. Yeah, and the crowd's like, no, he didn't. Like they're they're telling the re- the referees looking to the crowd like he pulled his hair, and the crowd's like, no, no. And it's just it's funny, man. And it's fun to watch this well, stuff. Paulie is so upset about that hair pulling that he gets on his cell phone, man. His giant cell phone he's got out there, <laughs> yeah. and he's he's made a phone call to Murray, complaining <laughs> that whoever Murray is, that Luger keeps so- pulling his uh, Mark's hair. <laughs> he's pulling hair, Murray. I was going Sesame Street. I was calling Murray on Sesame Street, but Jr. seems to think it's a uh, Murray Povich. He's pulling hair, Murray. He's talking he's to Murray. Murray, Murray to do about it. Is that Murray Povich watching at home with uh, Connie Chung? <laughs> he's like, he's like, is that Murray Povich watching at home with a uh, Connie Chung? <laughs> Which is a very dated reference. Very but, dated. Um, and very wrong. But, and it's yeah, not, not Murray. <laughs> not Murray Povich. It's Murray. But um, to follow this phone call up, we're gonna get lots more wrist locks, arm locks, hammer locks. We get an Irish whip, and there's a little miscommunication at this point. Oh, uh, yeah. I think. Me and Mark's still – he's still green, man. He's still a little yeah. bit sloppy in this match. You, you'll notice it a few times. There's a little bit of miscommunication in these uh, spots where they're both running the ropes with each other. It happens a couple times. But me and Mark finally takes over here. The heel takes over with yeah. a leapfrog over Luger and then gets a big boot, a move we've seen him use many times. But not the leapfrog so much. It was cool to see no. him hit that. Yeah. Uh, and then he's going to start using that gloved right hand to just nail Luger with these punches and really start to wear him down as the announcers speculate that that, uh, that glove might be loaded. There could be something in it, which, again, man, this match is just full of these old wrestling cliches is, that you don't man. see anymore. That's another one right there. Yeah, JR's like, did the ref check his glove before the match? Because he should have checked it. It could have been loaded. So it's just, it's funny, man. I guess the last person we saw use a loaded anything or would have been like, the power of the punch, man, right? With uh, Yeah, with Regal. Well, and yeah, we'll see him use it a little bit after that with his chain. Remember that? But um, Chris Canyon with the book? <laughs> the brick in oh, wow. <laughs> 2000. Yep. But no, seriously, it's been since been a long early time. 2000s since anybody's done anything like that, you know? Um, so it's time to bring that back. <laughs> I agree. Back. Why not? Uh, well, at some point here, after this um, – after this, uh, uh, like you said, big boot and, and jumping over Luger, which is great, um, that's when he does that arm bar. Like you said, he's also pulling the tights, which looks like he's giving him a wedgie. But um, he's pulling the tights, but r- the commentary is like, you know, he's trying to hold Luger back from getting from getting to the ropes and trying to cheat and get leverage. But I just thought it was a neat little heel touch, you know, pull his, pull his tights. But um, then me and Mark's going to go for old school. Yeah, glimpse into the future, heads to the top. He doesn't do it with the same pageantry and no. the same crowd work that he does later on. He actually does it really quickly, but it goes to the old school. And if you go back and watch some of these other squash matches, he actually would do the rope walk into an elbow drop a lot of times oh, in those yeah. matches and use that as sort of a finisher as well as the heart punch. Uh, but here it's kind of like than... what Xavier Woods does now when he walks mm-hmm. the top rope and jumps off and mm-hmm. man, look at that Xavier going back to me Mark days to get that move. <laughs> On one of the ones that I watched, uh, the dude he hit the elbow drop on was like honestly more than halfway across the ring, and he just like, jumped all the way across, which is crazy. I mean, he, he's yeah, a big guy, and that sort of move in the first place is cool, but to see a, a seven foot tall guy do it is even cooler. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, They start to go outside here. Uh, Luger starts to fight back with some elbows, but Mark ducks as Luger comes running at him with a clothesline, and Luger kind of goes flying over the top to the floor. And, uh, I mean, Mark's going to work him over on the outside for a while. Yeah, and knocking his head off the steel guardrails and the wooden stairs, which I don't remember them being wooden, but JR points out how wooden they were. Yeah, makes a point and, of that. Uh, yeah, goes over the announce table and hits his head off of that, too. And it's funny because Paul Lee walks over the commentary and he's like, oh, be in the wrestling business. That's what happens when you're too close to the X. Yeah, well, you need to both brush your teeth and use a little mouthwash. <laughs> so funny <laughs> to see them go at it, man. I love it. So, oh, we need them back together in 2019. God, it'd be great. I love them on NXT TakeOver, man. It'd be great. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or, I don't know, Monday Night Raw. I, yeah, I don't care. Any of it. <laughs> Let them have like a uh, primetime wrestling show where they're just yeah. in the studio. Just like Gorilla and Heenan. If anybody could pull it off, it'd be those it'd two It'd be guys. those two, yeah. <laughs> Uh, these guys are going to head back into the ring here as Luger's going to actually going to get a quick near fall here with a sunset flip for a two count. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Mean Mark's just going to take over again and they're going to start trading punches with each other as the announcers are really starting to put over this heart punch. Man, uh, this devastating finisher of Mean Mark's. Just, <laughs> you know, add it to the list. Another classic thing that doesn't yep. get, you don't see the heart punch anymore. But it's from that time when wrestling was about you know it was a work you, you didn't have to do a finisher where you actually hurt the other person or where there's <laughs> yeah. actually any danger like of right. course a guy punching somebody in the chest is not going to kill him but there was the whole <laughs> mystique of it and the way that right. people sold it and the way they put it over the same with the iron claw no, it doesn't yep. hurt at all to do that but the way that it's sold in the way that it's done. It tells a story. You don't have to do a flipping, flying, vertical backbreaker off the top rope or <laughs> some of the stuff they were doing on that NXT UK show. I saw some clips of, you know, it's, it's dangerous, like straight up. Like, I know it's fun. I know it's a show and I know they do it well, but it's dangerous and it doesn't always have to be. Sometimes you can just do a heart punch. And that's what, that's yeah. what wrestling used to be is you just, <laughs> it wasn't really trying to hurt somebody. Yeah, how much longer is your career going to be if you just punch someone in the heart rather than doing a flippity do die off the top rope and Absolutely. botch it? You know, yeah. so yeah. But I'll get off my uh, oh, I'll no. get off my soapbox here. Sorry, help get out my yard. <laughs> exactly. Man. So well, they get back in the ring, and uh, me and Mark's going to go for a vertical suplex. Actually, it's a wrestling move here, and a vertical suplex, and Luger just hogans it, man. No yeah. sells it, hops Hulk's right up. up. And that gets this Maryland crowd up off the feet oh, yeah. too, man. Like they love that because they know what's coming. He's gonna have his baby face shine here. He's firing back, clothesline, clothesline, clothesline. Then he's gonna get him up in the torture rack. Gets me mark up in torture rack, and that the crowd knows this is the end right here in torture rack. No one's gonna get out of this. So it was pretty cool, cool to see, see them. Yeah, yeah, big. He mean marks a lot bigger and like yeah. to get him up like that. It was always awesome when he got the big guys up. Uh, what was it he got like roadblock up or? Uh, giant. Get the giant up. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was always awesome. And he struggled a little bit to and get Nash, me Mark up. Nash up too. Yeah. It took him a couple tries, but he gets him up. But unfortunately, Luger's going to swing Mean Mark around, and Mean Mark kicks the ref in the face as he's in the torture rack to send the ref out cold. And that's going to give Polly dangerously a chance to hop in the ring and nail Luger in the ribs with that enormous cell phone. <laughs> Zach Morris phone, dude. <laughs> 
so great. Wait a second. Did, did Paul Heyman have a Zach Morris phone, or did Zach Morris have a Paul Heyman phone? I don't know. Who had it first? The timeline. Yeah. The timeline. That's the real question. I don't know. I'm not sure. They're both about the same time. Yeah. I don't know, man. So, anyway. Yeah, that's a great question. Age-old question. Which came first? Morris or Heyman? <laughs> Two legends. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Two legends in my sport. Anyway, um, yeah, he's going to hit him with that, and... You know the the fans are gonna think that that's you know that's gonna be it. You know the heel's gonna go over here and uh, Heyman, excuse me, dangerously is gonna go revive the ref as Mark kind of drapes his arm over Luger, gets this really slow two count, but the crowd's into it. It's one, two, Luger kicks out and they're like ah, I just erupt, man. It's just cool to see they're hanging on to this match. It's fun. Mean Mark's gonna get up and try to hit it. I mean it's an ugly looking clothesline. And starts to signal for that heart punch, you know, grabbing mm-hmm. his fist, working to the crowd right there. But Luger gets a boot up as Mark's going for it, and then quickly turns around, nails Polly, clotheslines Mean Mark, and gets the three <laughs> to a enormous reaction from the crowd yep. to retain the United States Championship here in about twelve minutes. Twelve or so. minutes, ten seconds, I think it was. Yeah, it's just, and this he had hit about. Seven clotheslines earlier in the match, but this one he gets the big boot, boom, punch Heyman, turn around, clothesline, cover one, two, three. It's just, it's out of nowhere. Um, but I want to say this, man. Be like, as I watched a lot of this card, I watched almost every match on this the other day or throughout a couple days. This finish comes out of nowhere, but a lot of the finishes on this entire show did as well. There was look at the main event, look at the main event. Um, how that how that ends. It's so quick. Um, there's a lot of matches on the show that are just roll up, schoolboy uh, stuff like that. I think only two matches ended with an actual wrestling move as a mm-hmm. finisher, and they were both belly to bellies. It was um, no, I'm sorry, three matches because Vader does the big splash. But other than that, there was 11 matches on the show. Eight of them end in some kind of schoolboy or roll up or something, wow. which is just funny. Yeah, yeah, because now put it on nowadays, boo, boo, boo. But back then, it was like. Man, this this finish just came out of nowhere. It gave it a sense of urgency and sense of realism. And I remember specifically pointing that out early on in talking Taker, talking about how um, some of those eliminations during that very first Survivor Series match were just quick, quick, quick. Right. Came out of nowhere, you know? So it's very interesting to see the evolution of wrestling in general and how the finishes are have, have evolved too. So, Absolutely, man. And this match, you know, it's nothing special. It's pretty generic it's pretty basic it's yeah it's funny that you can kind of see lex luger carrying mark calloway through this match in a lot of ways he's leading the way but it was fun and you just talked about the old school nature of it if you weren't a fan of wrestling during this time i could see where you would definitely think this was terrible or this was lame or this was stupid but to get an appreciation of this older time to get an understanding of where the business has come, of where Mark Calloway, the Undertaker, Mean Mark came from. I think this really is an important match to go see. Uh, any of this footage, if you want to go watch any of this WCW footage, even for just a few minutes on YouTube or something, just to look at the evolution of this guy, of this character who would become so legendary, and to see so many elements of that being put in place in these formative years, it's, it's pivotal. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I can't put it over enough. You definitely got to see how far he's, how far he's come, and just where he's come from. And it's just 
really neat to see and really need to go back and just uh just just see all this stuff man i just can't put it over enough and like i said this match itself isn't a five-star classic but it's wrestling uh it's carney wrestling at its best man and it's good stuff and it's a future opponent of his too and Lex Luger well I guess tag team partner in that match we covered already and just to see again how many other guys he intertwined with in his career that we've already covered some that we will cover uh, we're actually on the show as well so pretty neat man pretty neat thanks for the suggestion St. Ridley yeah uh, before we head out I do want to talk real briefly about the end of his run in WCW and, and go over just a couple of these final matches he had uh, from the history of WWF.com, uh, which you can find out there, great resource. Uh, it's also got plenty of NWA and other uh, wrestling federations in there. But a couple of real interesting things here in these final days. He ended up facing off against the man they call Sting in some of his final matches in WCW, which is funny, man. That's was always the dream match for so many years. The Undertaker versus Sting. It's one of the great missed opportunities. It was rumored for WrestleMania for so many years after WCW folded, but we never got it. But a few lucky select people, maybe about... Uh, Five or six thousand people over these three different occasions got to see these guys in action against each other. Uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, on August 30th, 1990, Sting and Lex Luger took on Mean Mark and Moondog Rex. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> what a tag team match that is. Uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, Sting pinned Mean Mark, who was subbing for Barry Windham, apparently, in their only recorded hmm. singles match that I could find any record of. And then uh, the next night, those were actually the only two times they took on each other. Uh, the next night, September 2nd, 1990, in Knoxville, uh, it said on the history of WWF.com that Sting defeated Harley Race, who subbed for Mark Callis, because allegedly Race was put in Callis's spot because their match the night before was so bad. <laughs> so Harley Race had oh to come my. in and save the day for me, Mark. <laughs> Which well, that's quite I can't, a I can't great, imagine I that. I don't know. In no. 1990, Harley Race? Yeesh. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, That's now, true. there is a video on YouTube that purports to have footage of Undertaker and Sting facing each other. If you search for Undertaker versus Sting, there is a video on there. Do not be fooled, people. This is And, and you go through the comments. I've seen it posted other places. It's a pretty pretty decent edit together that makes it look like it's mean mark versus sting but it is not actually footage of these two guys facing each other it's clips of mean mark versus some jobber in neon green tights with bleach blonde hair but it is not sting (laughs) but the guy edits it to where it looks like highlights of this match and you see highlights of sting in a very similar outfit given some reaction shots in the corner but it is not footage of their match together yeah, definitely not. I, you had mentioned it before we went on uh, air here, and I went and saw it and spotted it in about ten seconds. I was like, <laughs> "Oh, this is real." So, but kudos to that guy who put, tried to put it together. But yeah, cool, man. and what a missed opportunity! I remember, remember how, and we'll get to this. I'm talking Taker. <clears throat> was it like February 10th, 2012, or something like that? People thought it may have been Sting coming in instead of Taker. Taker came back, I think it was, and. It was that like graveyard promo and stuff, and That's people right. thought it was going to be Sting coming in. So yeah, but uh, man, the, I really wish we would have gotten that. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I really, really thought 2011, WrestleMania 27 in Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody mocked up, I remember. I probably still have it saved on my computer. Some mock-up of a poster for those two guys where it stings. Like, it's based on the Dark Knight Joker. He's like yeah. holding up cards, one with the Undertaker's face. He's like holding it up over his eye, like the Dark Knight yep. poster. It's awesome. And, God, what a missed opportunity that would have been. Uh, and... We've probably probably officially passed the possibility of that ever yeah, happening. I think so. It's a shame. It's a shame. It really is. But anyway, well, if you were there at Great American Bash in Baltimore, please let us know. Golly, this is going way back. So please let us know. That would be cool, there. man, if anyone's out there. Yeah, yeah for sure. We'd love to we hear about it. Um, and what a freaking card you saw that night. So. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> so good, man. It was awesome. Um, we want to hear from all you out there, all our creatures of the night. Uh, you can always hit us up on all the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, of course, the big news of the week, Travis, is that our boy, The Undertaker, we've seen him on Instagram. He's now officially joined the Twitterverse as well. I'm a, At I The Undertaker to, on Twitter. I may have to come out of my Twitter list. Uh, self shed my skin and come out there i mean so, we knows? need all the help we can get because our goal here we got to get the undertaker to follow us on twitter yeah. or on instagram on both come on mark that's all we want we just want that's you to follow us and to go out to eat barbecue with us <laughs> and to do a six hour <laughs> retrospective podcast with us yeah, on your entire that's, career that's all we're asking for not here. too much that's all we're that's, asking for that's it that's all no. we want <laughs> But all seriousness, some of you other guys have spotted him on Instagram, or excuse me, t- uh, Twitter, and immediately, you know, tagged us and your tweets to him and stuff. So we would love to have support and help. We don't want people to troll him, please, by all means. But we would love to have all you guys, all of our fans, and your help try to see if we can get him to uh, follow us and just tell him what the, the show's about. You know, we're not making fun of him at all, you know. I mean, we definitely do at some point. But that's not the goal. Maybe we're a couple of his outfits. Sure, but that's just, you know what, he asked for it sometimes. So, hey, we've, um, we've all got some regrettable outfits in our past. Exactly. I have some of my currents. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good. But um, anyway, it's just, seriously, we'd love to have him. To, that'd really put us over the moon. That's a dream. Uh, just, that's the dream. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So there's only episode 75, so maybe by the time we get to the end of his career, if he ever finishes wrestling, we'll, we'll get him to follow us. So. And the barbecue <laughs> is on us, my friend. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's only a 17 hour drive for me, so I'll be there, though. <laughs> Worth it. 35, 34 and a half hours. You hop in the sidecar and take the motorcycle. Head on yeah, down there. I get a motorcycle license just for that. So. <laughs> well, we're going to keep rolling, rolling, rolling on to the last ride next week as we head back into the uh, timeline of the show here as we hit the WCW Invasion pay per view and ECW. The alliance mm-hmm. begins and forms. We're going to cover. All of that, it's going to definitely be a jam-packed show. Buckle in, (laughs) clear out your Friday next week. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Not only that, it is the entire Stalker storyline and all those videos we're going to cover. Oh my goodness, as DDP comes into play, into the picture, and we talk about The Undertaker's role in the inaugural brawl, the main event of that Invasion pay-per-view. Hooey! What a mess. Yeah, we, we still got the uh, bring your wife to work to, uh, you know, festivities going on in the corporate office. So 
Lot to cover. It's, it's going to be an oversized episode. Just telling you guys right now because we got about 10 weeks of build up because he skips a. There's no Magic King of the Ring. That's why we're skipping it. But we're actually going to cover it uh, in this episode. But um, yeah, a lot to cover. So get your headphones ready. Get your. Yeah, block out about 13 hours Friday night to listen to it. <laughs> we'll try to bring to you. We'll try to condense it as can. much as we yeah. can. Yeah, but there's so much to talk about. And we appreciate you guys listening no matter how long it is. And or how short it is. Let us know what you thought of this WCW episode, a little bit of a diversion from us, from what we originally envisioned the show to be, but I had fun with it. I hope you did, Travis. I think we both yeah, man, did. Too. Uh, we may do some more fun little diversions like this, uh, talking about other elements of The Undertaker. Got some ideas, but uh, let us know what you thought of this one if you want us to hear, wants to do more than just talk about uh, these pay-per-view matches. Uh, let us know, you know where to reach us. And let us uh, know if you like that New Japan match as well. So, fun stuff. Go check it out. So, anyway, other than that, ladies and gentlemen, take her easy. Let me tell you something. You know I've been in Japan for the last month. And while I was over there, I've come up with something real special. A formula. A formula. A formula. And what are you, some kind of a scientist, some kind of mathematician, some kind of a brain surgeon? Is that what you are, me, Mark? <laughs> I'm a professional wrestler, Terry Funk. Yes, nothing sir. more, nothing less. What's your formula? The formula is MM, MM, plus HP, plus HP, equals WC, equals WC. Can you figure it out, Terry Funk? Mean Mark? That's the start, and the end is world's championship, but what's the HP, HP? Come on, Terry Funk, you're a smart man, figure it out. HP, 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 HP?